Hello, I'm Jack Snow, and we are The Resistance. Welcome to our podcast, The Avalanche of Resistance, where you'll hear reports about vital grassroots activism across the web and beyond. Tonight, we continue our series of blue wave interviews of Democratic candidates in the California jungle primary. Tonight, I want to welcome Virginia Madueño from California's 10th Congressional District. She was the mayor of Riverbank, so she's not new to politics. Virginia, welcome to the Avalanche of Resistance. Wonderful. Hi, Jack. How are you? Thank you for the invitation. Connor Lamb just scored a stunning upset in Western Pennsylvania District 18. What can Blue Wave donors learn about candidates in the context of their unique political geographies from this event? You know, I think it becomes really evident and apparent with all of these elections and all these upsets that we're seeing. The voters are really interested in genuine, real people. They're not interested in the status quo. They are not interested in people that um, fit the traditional profile, if you will. They're looking for people who really want to genuinely serve and serve for the right purpose. They're looking for people who aren't associated with any real agenda, corporate agenda, Uh, because there's just too much at stake. And so I think that that's what we're seeing time and time again, is that the voters are starting to get much more engaged. Uh, We're starting to see a new profile of voter as well. And so it's exciting. And I think there's really a new emergence now uh, in terms of the conscience level of Americans and what they're expecting in leadership. You've got an interesting background sound. You want to tell us where you are right now? Absolutely. So I'm in the restroom of my son's high school gym uh, because we have to do it all. You know, we're moms, we're, uh, we serve our community, we're running for office. And so I had to come out and help my son, uh, escort him down, if you will, uh, for his award ceremony, because this is, in fact, the last volleyball game of the season. And he's graduating. He's a graduating senior this year. So I'm actually in the gym restroom uh, conducting my my interview with you. Now, see, and I think that I'm sometimes going through these hairpin turns. So, so this, <laughs> this is helping me to keep it real. Uh, tell me about Central Valley, California, District 10. Uh, what do your constituents care about? What are some of their economic concerns? And how sure. will you serve your constituents? So the the San Joaquin Valley, uh, and specifically Congressional District 10, uh, the San Joaquin Valley really is is from San Joaquin County all the way down into Kern County, so from Stockton all the way down into Bakersfield. Congressional District 10 encompasses the northern part of uh, the valley, so it's all of Stanislaus County, um, including the larger cities of Modesto, Turlock, uh, series, and then it encompasses all of South San Joaquin County, just south of Stockton. So that's the areas of Tracy, Manteca, Lathrop, Rip, and Escalon. As we get to knock on more and more doors, it becomes evident in terms of what the real issues are for the residents of this valley. Uh, first and foremost, we always hear about health care, the growing concern, if you will, in terms of affordability. Uh, for health care. And I'm not just talking for seniors, but across the board. And that's what we continue to see is, you know, one of the main contributors to bankruptcy, not just for members of this community, but for all Americans, is the rise in health care. 
So healthcare be, becomes one of the most uh, important issues and topics that I get to uh, hear from. Uh, the affordability of homes and how people are being priced out of their homes. Rent is out of control. And when you're looking at incomes that, again, just don't equate uh, to a living wage, people are very, very concerned. Uh, people are paying living paycheck to paycheck. Um, immigration is another huge issue here in the San Joaquin Valley. Uh, it's obviously an issue for uh, those who are here undocumented in that they have never been able to get a resolution. Uh, we have a number of DACA children, students, uh, who are wondering what their future holds. We have the undocumented immigrants, the families, uh, who are also wondering what, what is next. And for me, it's how do we start to really address the situation for them and as, as well as for the employers? Because I'm hearing from a lot of farmers that they just don't have enough labor pool to be able to harvest their crops. I just met with a, a farmer who is considered the sweet potato king of the San Joaquin Valley. He needs about 600 more people to come out and help uh, with the harvest. So those are some real issues that are affecting us. Um, education, infrastructure, jobs, um, and the environment. Those are probably the most uh, pressing, if you will, from what I hear from the voters as I'm knocking on doors. And, and more, most interesting of all is, is that this immigration issue in, in the Central Valley isn't even a partisan issue. Um, Jeff Denham, I was reading in the, in the Los Angeles Times, is also quite concerned about how this will affect him in this upcoming election. No question. And, you know, he's, he has served this district for the past eight years. And most people feel that he has tried to address the situation. But unfortunately, there's a lot of talk and there hasn't been really effective action. And I think people are starting to recognize that if we really want change for the future, and again, it's coming from Republicans and Democrats alike, we want somebody who is going to actually take action real initiative because they really feel that this is going to be an issue that's going to affect everyone. And again, when I see the disparity that is happening amongst families, it's, it's troubling for me as an American to see the disparity in these people's lives, how people are being uh, taken into what I would consider slave labor, uh, people who are living in the shadows and the brinks of of industries that are taking advantage of, of them, uh, because again, they are here undocumented. We need to bring real resolution. And it's not just people who work out in our fields, because I think most people just assume that's the, that's the norm. But I know people who are business owners, business owners who are here undocumented and who have never shared their story publicly for fear and, and retali of retaliation. So it's, it's really starting to affect a lot of people that normally would say, well, you know what, I never thought that immigration was such a, an impacted issue for all of us here in the Valley. So I'm, I'm hoping people will start to recognize that talk is cheap. We, real, we need real action at this time. You're a Catholic. How does yes. your faith guide you in everyday life? I was raised Catholic. I continue to be Catholic. The Catholic Church is right across the street from me. And actually, I tell Father Misael, my priest, um, 
Father, when, when I'm really tired on Sundays, could I just come outside my window and could you just give me the blessing? <laughs> 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 it doesn't work. It doesn't quite work that way. No. You know, I, I've learned from my faith that we always have to take care of those in need. My faith has always taught me that we who have achieved a certain level of success must help share with those that have not. My faith has also guided me in knowing that we should always believe there's there's always good. There's always good with everyone. And so I don't I don't like when people become so partisan that they have so much hate in their hearts. And actually I'll give you an example. I was at the Oakdale Rodeo Parade uh, last Saturday or two Saturdays ago. And for me, I want to go out and I want to meet as many people as I can. I want to shake hands with as many people as I can. I want people to know that I'm real, that I'm genuine, and that I really do have a passion to serve my community. And it was amazing for me, for people who were carrying some Trump signs and denim signs, they still extended their arm to me, except for one person. There's always going to be that one in the bunch. Oh, yeah. But you know what? It's okay. And there was uh, one of my staff members uh, who really took exception to this gentleman who refused to shake my hand. And I said, you know what? It's okay. And that's why we live in this country, because we do have, again, the ability to be able to say no and to voice our concern for what we, do, what we don't appreciate or don't like. That is what we call our freedom, our ultimate freedom. So it's okay. It really is okay. Um, how do you feel about the Johnson Amendment? I'm not sure. I really am not sure. I'd like to get more. um, I'd like to get more feedback. I'd really like to evaluate a little bit more. But for me, and I tell people this all the time, this election is not about Virginia Madueño. This election is about the voters. This election is about the, the, the voting constituents of this community. I want to be that voice. I want to be able to transcend that voice of the people of this community so that they understand that their voices are being heard. So I always like to weigh in, but I really like to hear more from the constituents themselves to see how they feel about the Johnson Amendment. Is it something that we all should embrace? Is it something that we should reject? But for me, I'm I'm really not quite sure at this point. How would your faith guide you to be a member in the U.S. House of Representatives? Not that we're getting ahead of ourselves. (laughs) Well, I, I think that my faith is, is truly going to allow me to embrace, if you will, all sides. As, as you probably know, the Catholic faith is very much pro-life. But I've also learned from my priest himself that there is a very big distinction between pro-life and pro-birth. And as my faith and as my priest has told me, there is a lot of hypocrisy within the political system. And when somebody actually rejects the notion that a woman should have the right to make her own decisions based on her own judgment, her medical advice, that is her advice. Because when we allow a child to come into this world, we should ensure that that child is given adequate care from cradle to grave, giving that child the opportunity to be educated, to have health care, to have adequate housing, to have an appropriate wage, to be able to, again, have success. 
throughout their entire life. That is what I consider pro-life. Not a child that will be brought into this world in despair, with substandard housing, unlivable wages. That's what my faith, I think, will allow me to be able to bring that message to the House of Representatives and be able to, again, showcase that we are there for the people. We are there not for interests, but to serve the needs of our respective communities. Uh, Virginia, you can't hear it, but that is the applause of the women of the resistance. The rallying cry for the Republicans appears to be, Virginia Madueño will do whatever Nancy Pelosi tells her to. How do you respond? With all due respect, I do not even know who Miss Nancy Pelosi is. I have heard her speak. I don't speak for Nancy Pelosi, and Nancy Pelosi does not speak for me. I absolutely appreciate that this woman has done a lot for not only for our state, but for our country. But at the end, I am there. I want to be in the House of Representatives to, again, represent my community. That is why I'm going there. I am not going there to represent Ms. Pelosi. And I'm sure she is a wonderful lady, and I would absolutely be honored to work alongside with her. But I am not there to represent her interests. I am there to represent the interests of my community and the needs of my community. As a Democrat, it will be presumed by Republicans in the NRA that you are for gun control. How do you respond? I absolutely believe in the protection of the Second Amendment. But even with the protection of the Second Amendment, I believe that all gun owners, and I know a lot of them, we need to find some practical solutions for gun safety measures. When I talk with young people, and it's the young people right now that are carrying that message loud and through, we need to bring in effective gun legislation that will prevent these weapons of war to be on our streets. We need to bring in preventative measures that will protect our children when we send our kids to school, and I'm sitting, I'm standing in a school right now, we need to put in measures to be able to safeguard our children so that when we say goodbye to them, whether it be at the bus stop or whether we drop them off at the front of the school, that we know that our children are going to be safe in that, in that learning institution. I'd like to see the age, the minimum age, uh, be 21, not 18, but 21. And I actually have two sons right now. I have twins. They're 17 years old. And I, I've had this conversation with them. And they say, Mom, we'd like to carry a, a, an arm, a, a weapon, or a, a gun. We'd like to be gun owners when we're 18. And I said, you know what? No, you are not responsible enough to be able to carry a weapon. When people push back on me and they say, but we allow our children to join the military when they're 18, why shouldn't we allow everybody who turns 18 to be able to carry a, a weapon? And my response is yes, but we also, also when we put our children in the military, our 18-year-olds, they are being trained. They are being effectively trained to handle that weapon. I also wanna see more investment in mental health. We have done a terrible job of addressing the issue, the escalating issue of mental health. We need to do more. And I also wanna see a universal background check across the board. 
Tell me about the veterans of the 10th Congressional District. The veterans of this community, and I've had my fair share. I get to stop in, in multiple Starbucks throughout the, throughout the valley and, and get to meet with veterans. What I'm hearing consistently is that it is a shame that they have to drive almost three hours to get to the, the nearest veteran hospital, which is in Palo Alto, California. If you are diagnosed with cancer or another <clears throat> devastating disease and you're going through chemo, to have to drive three hours outside of the district is unconscionable. And they, what they, sh they share with me is that our congressman had the ability to have those monies, to have the monies, the funds, to be able to build a hospital right here in the district that would have prevented that drive for so many, for thousands. And yet he let that money go and it went over to Colorado. So we, again, will continue to have that three hour lag period for our veterans that have to go again for hospital services. And I don't know if you're familiar with this district, but the Highway 9, I'm sorry, Highway 99, Highway 5, the 580, the 680, and the 80, which are all the, the arteries to get us into the Bay Area, are congested. They are so congested. And it's anticipated that within the next 10 years, that traffic congestion will quadruple. That three hours is gonna turn into four and a half hours. Again, for our veterans that have provided for us, that who, who have fought for us, who have given the ultimate sacrifice, I think that's absolutely an embarrassment that we cannot provide them with adequate services in their own community. We've had some interesting weather here in California the past several years. Uh, some people believe this is climate change. Other, believe, other people believe that, oh, I don't know anything from just unusual weather to God is punishing California for being sinful. Uh, how do you respond to folks that, that do not believe in climate change? Well, I'm going to tell you, as somebody who worked for the last four and a half years on SB 375, which is the implementation arm of AB 32, which was signed into law by uh, then Governor Schwarzenegger, it is very evident we have some incredibly, incredibly unique weather patterns happening, not just in California, but across our country. I recognize the need, uh, especially when I go into areas in Fresno and whatnot, and when you see these hot periods and the droughts that we have had to succumb to, there is no question for me, we need to do a better job of addressing climate change. We need to do more with regard to reducing greenhouse gas emissions, reducing our, car our carbon footprint. For me, I am a believer. Climate change is here, climate change is real, and it, climate change is something that we have to address. Tell me about your background. What were your parents like? Uh, well, I am the first American born of my parents. My parents uh, both immigrated to this wonderful country. My father was 14 years old uh, when he first came here. My father is 84. He has been in this country for 70 years. He did, in fact, come here when he was 14 as an undocumented youth. Today, he would be considered a modern-day dreamer. 
My father and my mother worked in the fields of the San Joaquin Valley. They ultimately upgraded, I'm going to say upgraded, and uh, went to work in local canning plants, um, and they were lifelong Teamster members. Uh, very, very humble people. My mother to this day does not know how to read or write, but I always tell people she is the smartest, smartest woman that I know, and the best cook too, might I say. Uh, they are the salt of the earth. They are now, again, in their 80s. Uh, they're doing well. They are, they are the, the reason why I am in this position today. I consider my parents to be the lifeline of, again, a, a dream for a better tomorrow. They brought up six children here in the Valley. I am their first college graduate. I am the first who started a business. I am the first who ran for office. I'm the first of many for them. So they're, um, they're my inspiration. They were the hardest working people that I know. I have a curveball for you, but I've been asking this question of all the other people that I interviewed. What's your favorite word? I would say my favorite word right now is hope. I think that's my favorite word right now. What are your least favorite words? <laughs> my least favorite words are can't, Trump. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's, that's one quite a few people are going to applaud. <laughs> you know, I, I try not to listen to a lot of negative words. Um, I always try to stay as optimistic and hopeful as I possibly can. And I said this in, in one of the last debates that I had. As I sat there on the dais with the other candidates, and I said, I was honored to sit there with all of these other, what I consider very accomplished uh, candidates. And I said, as the daughter of migrant farm workers, I am so touched and that I have been allowed to rise to the position that I've been to today. I am absolutely touched. As somebody who served in her community as a council member, as a mayor, who is now serving as a state waterways commissioner, who owns two small businesses, I am absolutely honored, honored to be where I am today. And it didn't just happen because I, it was just me. It was because there were investments by my parents, sacrifices by my parents, and sacrifices across the board that have been made and paved the way for me. Do you have anything you'd like to say directly to our listeners today? What I would like to say is, if we really all want change for the future, meaningful change for the future, we have all got to get involved. We have to get out of our comfort zone. If you've never walked for a candidate before, walk. If you've never made phone calls, make phone calls. If you don't have money to give, hold a gathering, do a meet and greet where maybe you can, again, collect 50, 60 bucks, whatever it is, it all adds up. When I go out and I talk with people who have never been engaged in politics before, and I've been meeting with a lot of immigrant women, 
And when their, their tears are streaming down their face and they're saying, please help to bring humanity and justice. So what I'm saying is people need to get involved. Like those ladies in Oakdale, California that I met with not too long ago. And the one woman who stood up with tears in her eyes and she said, if there's nothing else that you can do for me, please bring and restore justice, justice and humanity back to our society. And she said, I stand before you as somebody who was deported for a year and I had to leave three children behind, a nine-month-old, a three-year-old, and a five-year-old. She said, you cannot count on my vote because I don't have legal status. I don't know what else I can do for you. And I said, you can do something for me. And she said she didn't have any money. And I said, you know what? You may not have money and you may not be able to vote because of your legal status, but you can do two things for me. You can walk for me and tell people who do vote why this election is so important to you. You can actually spread the word. You can use your words that you use with me today and share those same words with others so that people can get engaged. I was just told that in the last election, there were over 80,000 people that did not vote in this district. What a shame. What an absolute shame. I hope that everybody that is listening to your station, to, to this podcast right now, recognizes that we, if we all get involved, we will have meaningful change in the future. Uh, Virginia, can you tell us how to get a hold of you, uh, your website, your donation information, that kind of thing? Absolutely. If you go to my website, it is virginiaforcongress.com. There's a beautiful little thing on there. It's called Donate. <laughs> I would be touched and humbled and honored if people could donate. Right now, I really need help to be able to hire more DACA kids. I want to hire more DACA kids for one very important reason. If there is anybody who's going to be able to share the importance of this election, it is going to be those DACA kids. And my intent is to be able to hire them and pay them a living wage, 15 bucks an hour. I want to be able to pay them to be able to dock on those doors. And I want to be able to get some more TV and some more radio. So if you can donate, if you can find it in your heart to donate, I would so appreciate it because this election in Congressional District 10 is not going to be just important for us here in District 10, but it's going to be fundamentally important for us in California and our country. We are one of 24 seats that have been recognized by Emily's List and others as flippable seats to be able to overturn the House. Thank you very much. Uh, I want to I want to add today that uh, the candidates we are interviewing have been endorsed and selected by the uh, PAC Democrats Work for America. It is a political action committee formed explicitly to empower grassroots activists by providing the needed resources to put their ideas into action. The scope of our mission includes get out the vote efforts, community education, and targeted outreach, improved messaging on democratic platform awareness, coalition building, candidate vetting, and campaign support. Uh, while you're uh, donating to Virginia Madueño's campaign, if you could please stop by. 
and and help out our pack as well. Uh, Virginia, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much, Jack. Again, it was an honor to be on your podcast. I hope people understand I am in a high school restroom um, <laughs> here from my son's last volleyball game. But this is what we do, right? We're moms, but we're also very active in our community. Um, again, I thank you for your time, for this opportunity. And again, it's Virginia Madueño, and uh, hopefully more people will take the time to go to my website, virginiaforcongress.com. Thank you very much. I'm Jack Snow of The Resistance. Resistance.